Good morning, Gospel Life Church and all those who are joining us online. We're so glad that you have come to participate with us in our study in God's Word today. We are in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. We're continuing our series uh, from the letter of uh, Paul to the Colossian church entitled, A Call to Live All Life in Thankfulness to God. Paul's desire, his heart, is to encourage uh, the Corinthian church to continue to uh, remember the, the faith that they have in Christ, the work that has been done in their heart and lives in the life of their church, and that to live in thankfulness for that, uh, expressing uh, satisfaction to God for all that he's done, and in turn living a life uh, for him. And so that call to live all of life in thankfulness to God is truly a call, not just for the Colossian church, though for us as well, as God has preserved his word through the writings of Paul here uh, to the Colossian church, so we can benefit from it as well. Today, as we look at verses 8 through 12, um, the title of the sermon is Thankful for Gospel Clarity. And so here in verses 8 through 12 of chapter 2, Paul is writing of his concern that the Colossian believers might depart from the faith into error and uh, to be taken captive or to be controlled by uh, some erroneous thinking, some human thoughts as opposed to uh, divine wisdom and divine thoughts. And so he presents them with the clarity of the gospel as the means of protecting them from this error. And so uh, hopefully as we look into this text, we will see this. We will uh, respond as, as I believe he wanted the Colossian church to respond in thankfulness to God for this kind of gospel clarity so that we too can be protected from this kind of error. So if you've turned in your Bibles already, um, follow along with me as I read Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 12. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This is God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are so thankful for your word today and we ask that you would bless uh, our, our time in it today. Give grace to us as we seek to understand uh, what you have moved uh, your apostle Paul to write here for us and uh, that we would be encouraged by it, strengthened by it, challenged by it, uh, convicted by it, and that we would embrace, um, embrace your truths that are expressed here today. We pray that not only for us, but also uh, for other churches in our area. I think of a mission church and Pastor Errol, that you would continue to use them and their ministry um, there in Manuka and the surrounding area. Uh, we pray for uh, First Baptist Church of Bolingbrook and Pastor Vaughn Sanders there, that you would continue to use their ministry there in Bolingbrook and the surrounding areas as well. Lord, use, use, uh, use them to further your gospel, to further your kingdom. Uh, we are not in competition, but we desire to see your church built, uh, whether it be here at Gospel Life Church or the surrounding churches that faithfully preach the gospel. We want to see uh, your church built. We want to see people come to know you as Savior and Lord and live live for you uh, every day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the main point this morning is this. You are to live in thankfulness to God for the gospel clarity that protects you in 
Christ. So you are to live in thankfulness to God for the gospel clarity that protects you in Christ. And when we come to our text, we see the, the main verb is actually the, the first couple words there that starts off uh, the section of our text. It is see to it. Uh, the idea here is to be careful or to be aware. And it's, and it's the same type of main verb that we saw in our uh, uh, last section that we looked at in verses 6 and 7 when it says, so walk. It's an imperative verb here calling us to action. So as we're meant to walk or live a life in verse 6, now we're meant to see and be careful and be aware of something. And so we have to ask, of what? Well, it says here that, that no one takes you captive. So being taken captive or being controlled by someone, or more, more specifically, as we see, that someone is going to seek to control us by, uh, by uh, philosophy or empty deceit. Uh, older translations say that we are to be careful being plundered because the idea of pirates coming in and plundering what we have. And that same thing is true, that false teachers are going to come in and are going to seek to plunder the riches of what we have and try to point us away from Jesus Christ. And so we need to be aware of it and we need to seek to protect ourselves. And so Paul's call is that the church at Colossae would see clearly so that they would not fall prey to the captivity or control of these false teachers that are presenting, uh, presenting a philosophy, a wisdom, a human wisdom that is sinister to their faith, that goes in opposition to divine wisdom. I have two questions that I want to ask in this text, and then our third point is connecting it to everyday life. And so the first question is, what challenges gospel clarity? What is Paul concerned about Christians falling under the control of? Now, he said it's false teachers, and we just briefly said philosophy and empty deceit because that's what the text says, but let's go into a little more detail. So what about this philosophy and empty deceit that is listed here in our text? Well, grammatically, these are not two separate things, but are one thing, and I like how the United Bible Society's handbook on Colossians has it translated. They translate it, the worthless deceit of human wisdom. And really the idea of philosophy here, that, that word that is used here and, and translated as philosophy really is only used here. And it's not meant to convey an idea that every kind of philosophy is evil or wicked, but rather in general, it's speaking about human wisdom. So it's a broader meaning than what we think of when we would say philosophy today. So it's merely referring to human wisdom in contrast to divine wisdom, as we see in this text. This kind of human wisdom is what challenges divine wisdom, and it is both empty, or as uh, the, the UBS translates it, worthless, and it's deceptive. It is worthless and deceptive. Now, Paul goes on to describe this type of human wisdom with three descriptors, and we see it here um, as they've translated in our text, very helpful, according to, according to, and not according to. So there's the three descriptors. And so the first one is according to human tradition. So it's, it's human. I and mean, we've already kind of established that idea of human wisdom, but it's, but it's also according to the wisdom that's been passed down in humanity. Uh, so uh, automatically, most of us who have probably read through the Gospels would probably think of Jewish traditionalism. Um, and what we have to understand there is that Jewish traditionalism is actually... Uh, antithesis not just to Christianity but to true Judaism because true Judaism from the Old Testament points to Christ and leads to Christianity. 
So this Jewish traditionalism is, is not Christianity. Now, that's what Paul had grown up in, our writer here, had grown up in Jewish traditionalism that rejected Jesus Christ, that sought to continue to keep all the, the traditions that had been passed down uh, through the ages, thinking that in that way they would be accepted by God. But this is not the case. This is just human tradition. This is not what God has presented as the means by which mankind can be accepted by him. But we shouldn't limit ourselves just to Jewish tradition. We should realize that within the Colossian church, there was not just Jews, but there were also um, Gentiles as well. And so we have pagan traditionalism that's been passed down uh, to uh, those people as well. So just as a Jew would feel the need to go to the temple in Jerusalem to, to, to make sacrifices for sin. So a uh, pagan worshiper would maybe feel the need to go into the temple of Athena or whoever, uh, whichever god or goddess it is, and make sacrifices so that they might benefit and succeed in life. So when he talks about human tradition, we don't just want to limit it to Jewish tradition. It definitely includes that, but it also includes uh, pagan traditionalism as well. Second thing we see here is according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, this is an interesting phrase that's been debated uh, for centuries. Um, what exactly is meant here? And uh, I, I think it's, it's good to understand it in, in a broad sense. I like the idea of, of this primal or cosmic forces, whether impersonal like fate, um, so fate is dealing us a hand or karma or whatever you want to call it, or a personal, uh, a personal aspect of the force like the goddess Athena is, is affecting uh, people's way of life. And so they're trying to live according to these elemental spirits of this world. So again, uh, a lot of the debate is whether it's impersonal or personal, but I don't think we necessarily need to answer that question. Either way, it's bringing a difficulty, it's bringing a challenge to what we understand has been given to us by God. Uh, according to God, we do not live by fate or by karma or anything like that. Rather, we live under the sovereign control and providence of God himself. When we think about uh, other deities, personalities, um, these forces of, of personality that exist, what do we know? We know from Scripture that they are not God, that they do not exist, that they are dead and dumb and cannot speak and cannot work. Why? Because there is only one true God. So we're not meant to live according to human tradition. We're not meant to live according to the elemental spirits of the world. And these are contrasted with the next one. It's not according to Christ. What is he saying here? These are non-Christian ways of thinking. The Christian lives according to Christ. Or as we looked at in, in verse 6 of this chapter, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. We live according to Christ. We live according to his way. And so if it's not according to Christ, then what is being said here, Paul is saying it is not Christian. It is not from God. It is human wisdom that is, that is in contrast and challenging divine wisdom. And this type of wisdom is both worthless or empty and deceitful. So what challenges gospel clarity? It's human wisdom that seeks to defy divine wisdom 
by trusting in human traditions, by trusting in the elemental spirits of the world, and not in Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we should not fall prey to that. But the fact is, the fact is, it is all around us all the time. There are voices demanding not just our attention, but our allegiance and our submission. All the time, all around us, they're seeking to call us to bow the knee to them rather than to Christ. And we need to be aware of them. And we need to make sure we understand that if they are not according to Christ, if it's not submission to Christ, then we don't live according to them. Which leads us to the second question, what provides gospel clarity? Or another way we could ask that, what lens should we see life through? And Paul here shifts to that in verse 9. He says, see that no one takes you captive because, or for, as our translation says there in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what provides gospel clarity? Seeing the deity of the Christ. Seeing the deity of the Christ. We are meant to see Jesus as fully God. And if that is true, fully God, who dwells bodily, and if that is true, Jesus is the one in whom we should submit to. Jesus is the one with the authority. Jesus is the one uh, with not only the authority, but the wisdom. Jesus is the one who has all of godness in him. Even as a human being, even as he takes on human form, he has godness in him. And so we can follow him with full confidence. In turn, what does it say? What's the gospel reality that exists as we see the deity of of the Christ? That you have been filled in him. You've been filled in him. Who is what? Who is the head of all rule and authority. He is the one whom we are meant to submit to and bow the knee to in every aspect. And we can because we have been filled in him. We have the ability now to say no to those captors and no to those control of of human wisdom and rather embrace the wisdom of Christ and follow after him. Now, this captivity and this control detracts from God's glory because God, Jesus is, the, is God, full deity. And for us to say, well, you know, Jesus is good, but I like what they're saying better. What are we doing? We are detracting from the glory of God in Christ Jesus. But not only that, we express ingratitude by looking to be satisfied in something that we already have satisfaction in Christ in. Like if we already have the fullness of deity within us, dwelling in us in Christ, then then we should be satisfied fully with that. And yet, if we are swaying over to these other the, these other human wisdoms that are distracting us from Christ or pulling us away from Christ, what are we saying? We're saying we're not satisfied with him, that we need something else or we need something more. And Paul here is saying, no, you have been filled with Christ, and Christ is enough. But not only that, he goes on to say that we are to be seeing the incarnation and the death of Christ. And here we see this in verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now here, 
Here, uh, Paul is seeking to get at the fact that we have died to sin. We have put off the body of flesh, but how have we died to sin? Well, it says we've been circumcised, something that that, uh, in the Old Testament was a symbol or a mark of us being a part of the people of God, or the Old Testament saints being a part of the people of God. And so in the Old Testament, uh, a Jew seeking to signify that he was part of God's people and God's nation would circumcise themselves. But here, what do we read? We read that it's not a circumcision outwardly, but a circumcision made without hands. And more than that, it says it's the circumcision of Christ. And when we think about that, we think about the death of Jesus Christ, because that is where Christ dies to sin for us. And in turn, the putting off of the body of the flesh is is our death to sin. And in him, we died. In him, we died to sin. And so we're meant to see not only the incarnation, that Jesus became a human being, took on flesh and blood so that he might die, but that he died for us on our behalf to sin so that this body of flesh, this body of sinfulness might be put off of us. This happens in Christ's death. Yet the captivity and the controlling aspect of human human wisdom wants to replace Christ, both his death and his burial, as we'll see in a minute, his resurrection. Uh, they want to replace Christ with something else as the means of a right relationship with God, with the deity uh, up in the sky, whatever they want to describe it as. They want to replace uh, that right relationship being through Christ with, with something else. Um, and, and even even they, re- they replace who God is. So God may actually be the greatest life we can live right now, the American dream or whatever you want to say. And how do we accomplish that? With better education, with, with, uh, with more money. So we need to work harder with success in life. And, and it's tempting as Christians to be drawn away by that as well. And all of a sudden, we replace God with something else. And in turn, we replace being in a right relationship with that God. Uh, we replace Christ with something else as well. Why? Because Christ actually makes us have a right relationship with the one true God. The one true God who we rebelled against, who is holy and just and, and must uh, punish us for our sins. And so Christ is the one who enables us to, to have this body of flesh removed from us so that we might be right with God. Uh, here, here we see in this text the, the imputation of our sins on Christ and the imputation of his righteousness to us. It's his circumcision that is given to us so that we might be right with God. We might have a right standing with God. Then we see here, uh, another aspect. So we saw seeing the deity of the Christ and seeing the incarnation death of the Christ, now seeing the burial of the Christ. And so we see this here uh, in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism. So here we see the, the idea of being buried with Christ, that we are truly dead in him. And the gospel reality is that you are buried with him. And this is symbolized in the act of baptism, that as we are baptized, we are lowered into the water, symbolizing the fact that we truly have died in Christ. Now, why is that significant? Why do we need to die in Christ? Because the current life we live is a life under judgment, and we need to die to that life of judgment in order to then see the next one, which is seeing the resurrection of the Christ. Here we see in verse 12 that 
that in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We mean to see the, the resurrection of the Christ as well. And here the gospel reality is this, that you, you have new life in him. Just as you have died in him, you have new life in him. And again, it's symbolized in baptism. Yet, what do we read here? Read here, it's realized through faith in the power of God, not in our works. You see, baptism isn't a work that saves us, and our faith isn't a work that saves us. Rather, what saves us, what brings us new life? It's the powerful working of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and therefore can raise us from the dead as well. And so what provides gospel clarity in this life? Seeing the deity of the Christ, seeing the incarnation and death of the Christ, seeing the burial of the Christ, and seeing the resurrection of the Christ. Why? Because that reminds us that, that our trust and confidence is in the one true God, who is fully and truly God, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. We, we see that it's also in this incarnation and death, this imputation of our sin on Christ and his righteousness to us so that we are acceptable before God. So just like the outward sign of the Old Testament demonstrated that they were God's people, so now the inward sign of, of, of Christ's death on our behalf and his giving us of his righteousness makes us right with God. We are the people of God. And then in turn, the burial of the Christ, that we truly are dead to this old life, that our sin is no longer on our account, but we have died to the judgments of God and we have risen to new life. We have been resurrected in Christ so that we can live lives of, of faith and of, of righteousness before God. So, number three, how do we connect this to everyday life? Well, first of all, we need to see Christ in his gospel. I mean, that's what Paul's calling us to do here. He's calling the Colossian church and he's calling us as well to see Jesus Christ. Don't, don't be distracted. Don't be distracted by human, human wisdom that's apart from Christ, but rather see Christ in his gospel. So look at Jesus from every angle. Look at the gospel from every angle. See all the facets. Maybe you need to take time to study all the different parts of the gospel and, and, and of, of, of God's work in bringing about the gospel. So whether it's election or calling or sacrifice or regeneration or imputation or propitiation or expiation or substitution or reconciliation or redemption or justification or adoption or union with Christ or conversion or sanctification or the sealing or of preservation or of glorification, any of those aspects, we can study those aspects and we can see the glorious facets of the gospel and they can remind us of the power of the gospel in our great need. And in looking at those aspects of the gospel, we can see Jesus, Jesus who is the perfect sacrifice, who does bring true life, who imputes his righteousness to us and, and, and takes our sin, who truly propitiates, who truly takes God's wrath upon himself. He's the wrath absorber. He is the true and only substitute He's the one who pays the price so that we are reconciled and redeemed. He has justified us so that, so that before God's judgment, God looks upon us and says, you are, you are no longer under my punishment. So the just judge sees us as justified, as being right with him. We're adopted into the family, becoming a part of, of his 
people, but, but the, a part of his own household. We're brothers and sisters with Christ, able to call God our Father. We are united with Christ in such a way, in such an intimate way, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, that, we, that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we are, the promised sanctification is going to occur, that we will be preserved till the end, that Jesus, Jesus will preserve us like salt preserves meat, so he will preserve us in him. And that's good to know because I still struggle with sin. I mean, so all these facets, all these aspects, we need to see, we need to hear, we need to preach them to ourselves. Sometimes we, we think, well, if we're Christians, we really don't need to hear about the gospel anymore. But that's not true. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves all the times. Lest we become captive to human philosophy, human wisdom that goes against divine wisdom. And we begin to live lives that are antithetical to the thing in wh that, of which we believe, to the gospel which we believe. And so we, we need to study this. We need to know these. The second thing, see your temptation towards human wisdom. You know, don't be proud. Don't be puffed up. Don't think, well, I'll never fall for that. Uh, because pride leads to destruction, a haughty spirit to a fall. But if we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. And so humbly look at your own life and see your own, recognize your own temptation towards hu trusting human wisdom. What are you tempted to replace Christ with? with money, with success, with education, with a moral life, with family, with, with philanthropy and generosity, with entertainment, with lust. What is it that you're replacing your satisfaction in Christ with? And begin preaching the gospel to yourself. And then the third thing, express your thankfulness for your clarity in Christ. Express your thankfulness for the opportunity to, to study the gospel so that it challenges your heart, so that you don't fall prey, fall captive, be plundered by this worthless and deceitful human wisdom. None of us want to be deceived by sin. And yet, if we're not careful, we can be. But thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus has given us divine wisdom. Thanks be to God who through his word has given us divine wisdom so we do not need to fall prey to this. We have gospel clarity given to us. And so we can, we can fight against this human wisdom that would take us captive. So I, I hope that we'd express our thankfulness for that, for that clarity in Christ. God didn't have to provide that and yet he does and, and it's so good for us. I hope this has been a challenge uh, to you as we look at this text. I hope that you will live in thankfulness to God for the gospel clarity that protects you in Christ, that you will run to the gospel. And now, if, if you're not saved, you need to run to the gospel right now. You need to come to him in repentance and faith. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus alone as the one who can save you. And all these gospel truths that we've been talking about will be true of you as well that you need to believe that he truly is God, that he truly became man, that he died on the cross, that, that he was buried and that he rose again. And then in turn, you can be freed from your sin and the judgment of your sin through trusting in him. I hope that is the case for you if you're listening today and you're not a believer. And if you're a believer, preach the gospel to yourself. I wanna thank you guys for joining us in our study here. Uh, we're going to close with our benediction. Our benediction comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. I'm going to read that, and then I'll close us in prayer. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, your Son is glorious. Thank you for the union that we have with him and that nothing can separate us from him. And I pray that we would, we would ground ourselves in gospel clarity so that, so that as we live in this life, we would not be pulled away by, by any type of human wisdom that goes against Christ and against his authority and against his rule. Lord, as he will never leave us nor forsake us, Lord, may we continue to live lives faithful to him as his love will never be taken from us. Nothing can separate us from it. Lord, may our love as well uh, continue to be expressed to him faithfully and, and joyfully. Or may he be our satisfaction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us. If you have any questions, concerns, want to talk to us about the gospel, there's a slide here at the end of the video that has all our contact information. We'd love to speak to you. God bless.